Thank you for joining us for Effective Heart Change, the podcast that will discuss how to apply faith principles to real-life situations. This is Effective Heart Change. We're talking today about how authority works, and, th- and that ends up being an interesting topic. And let me change that. How does influence work? And we, we touched on this just a little bit last time, but what's interesting, authority is interactive. We, God gave to mankind, to the collective whole. He gave authority to rule over the earth, to take dominion over the earth. But now we've got to kind of figure that out as people. And it's transferable. It's corporate, meaning jointly held. We, we all hold this thing together. So how does authority even work? It's important to say not only did he give it, he gives it. It's a, it's a continual thing, and it's part of the divine plan, in my estimation. You know, it's interesting when you say that. Think about fathers. I mean, part of—think about young parents. Part of young parents growing up is having kids. Uh, a lot of times when you look at, at young people, you're like, oh, this could be interesting, them having children. But it's amazing how many times when you step into that leadership role, it helps grow you up. Now, sometimes it does the opposite. It just exposes you, and it exposes you in a way that isn't good. But that's what's so scary. I, if you think about it from, I just go back to Jesus getting ready to leave the earth. Think about that concept. And he's turning the future of Christianity on the earth over to the disciples. To 12 guys that uh, most anybody wouldn't have picked. And a lot of times, just that transfer of authority when they took it on, of course, you you can't overstate uh, the the power of the Holy Spirit showing up in Acts chapter 2. So he didn't just turn it over to the disciples. He turned it over to the term that I use a lot is partnership. He turned it over to a situation where, hey, come walk with God, come walk with the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and and you can do what I ask you to do. So it, it wasn't like he just went off and left 12 guys and said, here, it's all yours. And I think you bring up a great point there because uh, the authority is given by God to, uh, to man, but it's in cooperation, it's in tandem with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm, I'm often reminded that the Holy Spirit uh, gives me language to speak that I don't understand even, or gives me the ability to, to uh, go and, and do without really knowing how, because he's there uh, in, in not only in support, but in guidance. Uh, so we're not, we're not on this on our own. We don't have authority on our own. One of the things that I find that's most important, when I'm most in Christ, I have a high level of awareness that I know that I don't know. So I'm going into a situation, I'm waiting, I'm listening, I'm, I'm waiting for that partnership, and I'm, I'm not jumping in with both feet with this incredible knowledge, this incredible, and let's, let's use the word that we're talking about here, this incredible authority of, I'm in charge, I'm going to tell you how it's done, you're going to listen to me. And That's, it's all up to me. And it's all up to me. I, I don't approach life that way because I walk in partnership with God, and so I'm surrendered, and I'm saying, God, what do you want? How do you want this thing to work out? Notice the quality of that that is so important, the jointly 
held quality. The idea of, hey, we're all in this together. And another line that I use a lot with authority, we share outcomes. And authority, number three on that definition list that we talked about last time, authority has measurable outcomes. It's interesting, the, 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 the big picture. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a Lone Ranger thing, uh, whether, whether you're exercising your authority within the family or there's always more to consider and, and to be willing to take time. Uh, to see how it's developing and see how it can be used, I think is a real important step. Let's jump in here and let's talk about Gentile authority because Jesus talked about that and we mentioned it last time. But what has happened on the earth is that people then use authority to lord it over other people. In other words, I feel a sense of worth depending on how much I can control you. And, and I, to me, that's a key word. And I like to, to juxtapose the two words, control and influence. God doesn't call us to control anyone because, and I, I go back to heart change. Heart change is this, I, I believe, and this is a whole theology, and this is why we call it effective heart change. I believe God's will is for you to grow into his image, to grow into his likeness, and I don't believe that can happen just with a zap. In other words, the way God has created us, he created Adam perfect, but Adam wasn't mature yet. Adam wasn't complete yet in this sense. The way he created us, we have to say a yes. We have to say an amen. Repeatedly. Exactly. So God created Adam. He laid out instructions. Adam was perfect in that he was without sin. He had everything all together, but Adam hadn't developed habits of obeying God, listening to God. He hadn't made clear choices. So now you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil put in the garden. Now he has a clear choice. You can't have love if there's not a choice. You can't have love without not love. You can't have free will if there's no choice. So he puts the tree in the, in the garden. And he says, now, Adam, I don't want you to eat of this tree. So now I've got choice. Well, God has created us so that our choice literally impacts who we are and who we become. So his choice then brought sin into the world. And once it brought sin, here's another thing God did. God created us all jointly. This is part of why authority is held jointly. God created us all from one seed. Eve literally came out of Adam. Then they joined together. They have children. We're all one seed. And part of why I believe we're all one seed is because if we weren't one seed, we were all individually created the way the angels are. There's no redemption plan for the angels. And I believe part of the reason we're able to have a redemption plan is because when Jesus became human, we're all one seed, we're all jointly holding this thing together. His life and death for us is us. But by the same token, that also meant the same thing, that sin got passed from Adam to all of the people. Inevitable then. Mm -hmm. We tend to get hung up in, in our picture and, and disassociate from others. We're different. And, and terribly different or wonderfully different, whatever 
uh, adjective you want to throw on it. But the reality is, it is one creation, and 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 it is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we are His creation, and so we are related, and and it makes sense that it should follow that way. Authority then becomes interactive instead of what the Gentiles try to do, as Jesus talks about. They try to lord it over, and if I have more power, if I have more influence, now I'm more significant. Now I'm a better person. That's the translation that we get in terms of our thinking. When God's coming along and saying, here's how I want my authority to be used, and authority could be translated love, Here's how I want my authority to be used. I want you to actually help grow other people into the image of Christ, into that image of love, into that image of peace and joy. I can't impose that on you. And this is what we try to do with authority. With authority, I try to discipline you, or I try to punish you, or I try to whatever language you want to do. I I bring weapons of force to get you to repeat a behavior over and over again, hoping that that's going to bring what I would call heart change, hoping that's going to change on the inside. How do you react when you're forced to do things at that level? Well, my initial reaction is I reject it. Yeah. I'm not interested in it. I'm, I'm wondering what the angle is, what they're trying to do with me. And, and so it's a self-protection thing. Uh, but it's also a self-centered thing, both ways. The, the lording it over is a, is a ego thing, and and me protecting self is is also an ego thing. Ego thing. My thing is, and it's something I a little bit unique about what I teach. Then, if I'm overpowering of you, I'm actually most of the time I'm actually working against heart change. Now, do I believe that there is a need for boundaries? Yes. Do I believe that with small kids, you, you want to protect them? You don't want them to run into the street. You don't want them to touch a hot stove? Yes. There is a need for boundaries. There is a need for vertical exercise of force at times. But I believe that God's number one goal in people's lives is this heart change. That's why I talk about it so much. I want to see people to grow into Christ and I don't believe that happens apart from you choosing to either partner with me, partner with God, us understanding how completely we are connected together. So now, if that's what I believe, I'm going to approach you from an authority standpoint, from an influence standpoint. I'm going to approach you in a completely different way than I would in terms of the mindset of most people, which is if I can force you to behave a certain way for a certain period of time, then you will eventually like that behavior or do that behavior. In, in Matthew 20, 28, uh, Jesus says that he came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, that doesn't sound like lording over. He is Lord and, and Savior and Christ. But that's not a position. That's a position of least and serving the most. And so what's interesting, if you really take that pretty literally, Jesus says, if you're going to lead, you lead from the bottom. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to be vertical, here's what it looks like. You lead from the bottom. You sacrifice yourself. You lay yourself, your life down. 
at a practical level, here's how this works. You know, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. At a practical level, I believe the strongest guy in the room in terms of authority is the person who's most trusted. You can have a Hitler type of a situation where trusted, eh, there's not much trust going around anywhere, so let's change the language. The person who's the strongest in the room is the one who's most feared. And so fear can become an object that where it just people's attention is focused and it's like, oh, wow, and they're worried about their outcomes. Remember, all of this language is authority stuff. They're worried about their outcomes, and so because they're worried about their outcomes, the strongest guy in the room is the guy who's able to drink up all the oxygen to get all of the attention, and so it does become a very dictatorial sort of zone. That's not healthy. And it's not healthy because what? It doesn't move people towards heart change. It, in fact, takes them into fear zones. It takes them into backstabbing. It takes them into revenge. It takes them into all kinds of things that are not the will of God. And, and though at times it can seem that uh, the person at the top does benefit, it's not healthy for anyone. It goes contrary to God's will. Well, let's, let's just take that to temporal but yet more eternal. The person at the top who is like that, you start tracing their children. You start looking at what happens to their children. You know, I, I heard a, you know, a study that was just the opposite. Jonathan Edwards, who was a part of the, the big revival you know, in, in Plymouth, et cetera. And you start tracing his relatives you know, to presidents, to senators, to influential people over the next hundred years. It was staggering. This person who walked with God, who I believe walked into the heart of God, the image of God, it was staggering the number of relatives that he had, incredible influence all across this country and the shaping of this country. Then you take someone who is more like a Hitler or whatever, you start tracing their children, you, you start tracing the people who are close to them. The influence was incredibly temporary. It was high level for that short period of time. But it was bound to self-destruct at some point because evil can't get along with evil. They hate each other. It's, it's about me having power, me lording it over you. So if evil can't get, a, get along with evil, it's just a matter of time until that thing self-destructs. It is world-changing, isn't it? You give that point of view, and, and it's easier to see that, that uh, world wars and all those types of things. Uh, they have an effect on the entire world. And so it, uh, the influence is a negative one in this case, but, but it, it, it follows the idea that, that how we choose to interact with, with each other, how we choose to influence people matters. Scriptures say several places how precious one man of God, one woman of God is to God. And is that because he loves them more? And I'm going to say, no, I, I don't think it's because he loves them more. What actually is going on is this Jonathan Edwards sort of a thing where the level of impact, if, if God can get one man of God, and think about the denominations today, and this isn't to promote the denominations, but when you look at them, there's usually one, two, three, four, five, sometimes a circle of people, but there's a handful of people who really pressed into God at a deep, deep level, and it ended up having a prof 
profound effect on hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. And then, of course, we create a denomination. We take that one unique little aspect that they that was their emphasized truth. You take a truth and make it the truth. And then next thing you know, I'm now setting my truth over against your truth and et cetera. Uh, Jesus kind of didn't want us to do it. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when we start fighting those doctrine fights at that level, guess what? All of a sudden, I'm starting to divide. I'm developing camps. Well, if I'm going to be transformed into the image of Christ, I probably need my enemy. The very guy that just disgusts me and I'm frustrated with and I don't want to work with, there's probably something going on inside of that person that I need inside of me. Well, you're putting some pressure on us. Well, <laughs> well I am. But, but here's the other part. Most of the time, that enemy, I'm looking at a trait of God in a negative place. Now, we've done that on the, on the podcast in this thing called Pathways and when we talk through. You should be able to see from those negative traits to, ah, this is the call of God. This is the value. If all I see is the negative, I'll get obsessed with that and I, I'll get caught up in that. And, and this is how authority works when it works right. If I'm able to step back and I'm able to see that person go, ah, this is ungodly right now and I can be angry at it and I, I can go after it, or I can start to see this is who God created this person to be. Once I start seeing who God created that person to be, now I can what? I can value that person. And we talked about this a little bit last time. I can now value that person. And if I value that person, now what? Now I'm starting to move into a love. I'm starting to move into that relationship. Now you want to talk about having an authority? When I actually start believing in you, when I actually start seeing who God created you to be, when I'm able to speak to that person, your ears are going to perk up. You're going to be ready to listen to me. And now I have influence. You, you've gone from the individual to the cooperative. The, it's a group thing, a big picture thing. Uh, uh, and and in authority, we have to, uh, if we're going to be healthy in it, we have to be able to go back to the original idea that the all authority lies in God's hands, mm -hmm. and He's given it. Uh, we don't take it from Him. We don't we don't assume it. Uh, it's something that's given, and as a given thing, we are uh, to cherish it. To, to use it in, on behalf of others. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a tradition of sorts that we pass on. And it's something that should be handled with kid loves, you know, but to be taken care of, not to be assumed or, or abused. When you say all authority is God's, let me go one, a little bit different direction for just a moment. God has designed us so that we're incomplete without him. So even though, just as you see in the scriptures, the father handed authority over to the son, and, the, and so the son was walking it out. But what did the son turn around and do? He handed the authority right back to God. He said, I don't do anything without checking with the father. And all of the works that I do, I'm not doing them on my own. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm walking in the father. I mean, we're doing this thing jointly. When you start to understand the joint nature of authority, the 
the corporately held, the together held nature of authority, it, it's crazy because what we try to do, then we try to separate that off. And so then a lot of people try to do what I call good flesh. They try to walk out the call of God apart from God. How crazy is that? You know, John chapter 15 very clearly says, uh, you know, apart from me, Jesus says to the disciples, you can do nothing. So when you talk about all authority being given by God, I emphasize Genesis 1.26, where God handed authority to mankind. But there's also that other piece, which is so clearly modeled in Scripture, then it's our need to turn around and resubmit that back to God and to work in joint uh, community and joint authority with God so, yes, all authority does go back to God, and when I try to take it for myself, and when I try to run with it for myself, now guess what? Now I've just perverted the design of God. You've misused authority. You've abused it, and that's not a good thing for anyone. The way authority is meant to work is exactly this thing. It's meant for us to be brought together I need things from you. You need things from me. We need things from each other. And so then we get to that other part that I have talked about is the idea of the transferability. Wow, I need this from you. And so can you and I connect in such a way where we can transfer this giftedness and we can work together in partnership? Can that happen? Wow, that is healthy authority. Whereas if I'm coming in trying to take advantage of you or you're trying to take advantage of me, it's not healthy authority. What you're describing there requires a, at least a deeper knowledge of another person. You're willing to put yourself aside uh, and learn more about them. And then you find a place of uh, conversation uh, that you can communicate with each other on a level. That's a starting point. Too often, in my estimation, uh, Christians, when they witness their faith, uh, come out with a sledgehammer, and it's the, you got to do this, you got to do that, instead of starting a conversation just about the person in, themselves. What do you? What's your occupation? What do you do? What? What do? You, what do you? What's your favorite pastime? Where you might find something that that you can talk about and establish a rapport before. You dive deeper. Well, I believe in, in, in this sharing authority. That's what you've got to do. You've got to reestablish a relationship with the person before you have any opportunity of going deeper and, and getting into the authority issues. The connecting piece is huge. The valuing piece is huge. And we try to do authority without those two things. I want to turn it to Ephesians chapter 5, where I... I just see authority written all over this passage where Jesus in 25 to 28, he says, husbands, love your wives. Well, that's not authority. Yeah, it is, because it's talking about a lot of times we do this with husband and wife and we make it very vertical and, and it's the husband ruling over. In fact, that passage talks about that. And a lot of times, sometimes people use that in a way that I, I don't think is biblical. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. What he's talking about, when you speak 
the word of God, when you, when you really speak on behalf of God, and, and, and the scripture says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we start hearing God speak, it gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us a sense of direction. It gives us a sense of meaning. It tells us, hey, you're missing it here. You need to move over there. So Jesus is continually speaking these kinds of words to the church to clean us up, to wash us, to cleanse us, to purify us, to get us back into that place of connectedness and walking with him. So that's the first part of it, that he might present her, the church. This is talking about an allegory here in terms of that Jesus might present the church to himself, a glorious church. That's how we know it's the church. The language is coming. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So the picture here is Jesus just completely laying down his life on behalf of the church. Why? There it is. So that she will be without spot, without wrinkle. Uh, A chapter earlier, uh, Ephesians 4 is talking about the church growing up into maturity, growing up into a a good place where they're not tossed to and fro and, and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine or whatever. So the church has to grow up, and the way Jesus did that, he laid his life down. He spoke words. He, he spoke into the life of the church so that we would get, I'll use my language, heart change, so that we would grow up into that place without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. This is authority at work right here. So authority is uh, for all in a place and a time. Uh, that. Uh, that that paints a nice nice picture there. That the the interconnectedness of real authority. It isn't it isn't something to be lorded over. If 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 it was that way, we wouldn't be talking about love, <laughs> because uh, with if if the Lord God uh, was in command of everything and demanded absolute no other. Uh, that would there's no choice in that, so there would be no love. Love is what it's about. So. Authority in the classic sense, again, it tends to be vertical, it tends to be controlling, it tends to be a lot of those different things. What I come back to in the Omega Project, I wasn't an addict in the classic sense. So I'm going in teaching scriptural principles that I think should work, should be able to help them get better. Guess what? I didn't know how to speak the language. I didn't know their experiences. I mean, I had workaholic tendencies, so I had some things I could relate to and et cetera, some things I couldn't fully relate to, certainly didn't understand everything from language experience, et cetera. So how I became effective, I asked a lot of questions. I listened. I listened deeply to their experience so that I could literally, as it were, crawl inside of their experience. How is that any different from what Jesus did? Jesus became a human being. He crawled inside of our human experience. He, he tasted it. He tested it. He found out what it was like. And then you get into Hebrews where he says, you guys don't have to worry about coming to God. Come to the throne of grace. Don't you love that language? Come to the throne of grace. 
because God was there. Jesus was there. He's, he was tested. He was tempted. He went through everything we went through. I had to taste what was going on in an addict's life at a real world. And in a sense, I did. You know, I mean, every time someone fell, every time I, I joined with them and said, you know what, I want to try to partner with you and I want to learn what's going on so that I can understand better to help you get better, et cetera, I began to live their experience with them, through them. And doing that creates a level of connectedness where there is trust built. And when there's trust built, there's authority built. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing now for me to walk into a room full of addicts and absolutely have their attention. I mean, they're, they're just, they're, it's like, I, I've never in the church experienced the same level of thing where, where I walk in and I've got their attention. When I was pastoring, et cetera, I, I walked in and it's like, well, go ahead and tell me what you want to tell me and I'll think about it. I mean, that, there was a lot of that going on. I, I didn't have that same thing, but but because of having just listened, poured out my life, sacrificed, come alongside, believed in, et cetera. Now what we see in the program, I walk in and it's just like there's, there's a level of listening that I'm like, wow, this is, this is cool. Now, that didn't happen in a day, didn't happen in a week, didn't happen in a year, didn't happen in five years. It was something that was grown over a period of time as we mutually began to connect at a higher level. Now we're talking joint authority and, and joint authority when we really love one another. It's very, very powerful. I don't think you can overstate that. Uh, the, the crossed arm, that's the, the ego in all of us. Uh, it's the open arms. Uh, tell me. Let's share. Uh, and, and didn't do it over, but by listening, by making uh, I'm sure you took it on as uh, a, a lesson to be learned. Actually, you want to know why I took it on? I'll, I'll go back to my own arrogance, my own stupidity, my own flesh. I thought that I understood some things. I thought I had some principles that could help people. And I did. I mean, I, I had some understanding. But you had a few people say, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I, had, I had some understanding, <laughs> but I found out very quickly how powerless and how futile my understanding was. And what I came to believe in is this stuff. I came to believe in the power to listen, the power to connect, the power to lay my life down, walk this thing out with you. I started with, I'm going to say, the wrong motives. I, I felt like God led me to do it, so I had the right motives. I was obeying God. But I started with some wrong motives, and, and God's had to clean that up and purify well, that. Well, the language just, you just used, I learned to lay myself aside. That's Jesus. Jesus laid himself aside. In fact, he laid himself down and died for all of us. And until we're willing to lay our ego, ourself aside, and be concerned about someone else, or something else, uh, it's all futile. You're going nowhere with whatever lofty thoughts you have of what you're doing. Uh, it won't amount to anything until it's a corporate thing. I'm going to say it this way. Authority is not what you think it is. I mean, I have really learned that, and so I think about this whole topic in a completely different way than I used to. And this, this idea of doing healthy authority, it's, it's a powerful concept. It'll change you if you do it right. It'll change the lives of the people around you for the better. And of course, doing it right, back to what you emphasized, 
that means God's got to be included. I, if I'm not surrendered to Christ, if I'm not partnering with Christ, if I'm doing this on my own, none of what I'm saying works. Well, it works a little bit. Trust works. So if I'm going to be self-sacrificing, if I'm going to be a listener, et cetera, it's better than, than being overbearing most of the time. But it really works when you do it in Christ. It's a step-by-step thing, and it requires patience. Most of all, it requires the direction, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to take you where uh, you can go. It's fun to talk about these things for me. Thanks for for coming and bouncing off with me and and going through. I, I hope that coming out of this session that you have a better understanding of, oh, this is, this is what I need to do to be a godly influencer, to bring life to the people around you. Thank you so much for all of you for joining us, and hopefully we'll see you next time on Effective Heart Change. Video production, editing, and audio by Matthew. Set design and setup by Ashley. Content recorded live at Studio 104.